Welcome to the Sharing What's Good podcast. I'm your host, Kim Spears. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Kimberly Joseph. Kimberly is the founder of the Super 7 Girls nonprofit organization. This program is dedicated to transforming life outcomes of girls from communities of color. The girls engage in youth development curriculum and programming that increases their educational achievements and overall well-being. Welcome, Kim. Thank you so much for having me, Kim. Well, yeah, you're doing great things in the community. And I thought the Sharing What's Good listeners needed to hear your story. So to start, how and when did the Super 7 Girls program begin? So I graduated from grad school in 2011. When I entered grad school, I started studying public policy. And so I knew that I wanted to kind of identify the gaps that were missing from communities of color. And so a lot of my time in grad school was dedicated to kind of understanding where those gaps are and how we fill them and if we could shift the narrative around what's possible for communities of color. And so after I graduated, I started working on that right after I left. So I knew I was starting my nonprofit. Went to work on this right after I left. As I mentioned, our focus was really trying to figure out the gaps. And so, you know, given that my background is in public policy, I spent a lot of time studying skill sets that are missing. And so there are seven things that come out of that research. And so I began to wonder what would happen if we could reinfuse these seven skill sets that are missing. And so that is exactly the work that we do at Super 7. So in 2012, we were able to launch live. We partner with two schools in the Chicago area right now. And we specifically partnered with schools that were in under-resourced communities or specifically neighborhood schools. Both of the schools that we partner with are 100% free and reduced lunch, which means that we are targeting the demographic and working with the income level that we would like to work with. When we started thinking about how do we reinfuse these seven skill sets, for us, it meant designing curriculum to help reintegrate these things into the lives of these communities. We specifically work with girls because 86% of the population that we wanted to work with had girls under the age of 13. And so if we only had so much money, so much time, it made sense for us to start with an intervention that worked with girls. And so we currently work with girls from third grade until they graduate from college. We are a long-term program. We work with the same girls every single year. So when I started the program, I just didn't take, you know, third grade through 12th grade right off the bat. We had third graders and third and fourth and third, fourth and fifth. And we continue to work with them. And so we're with the girls Monday through Friday, four hours every day. And so it has been a lot of fun working with them in this capacity, seeing the girls that we work with grow. Our oldest girls now are, are in 11th grade, about to be 12th graders. So those 11th graders have been with us since they were in third grade, so seven or eight. So as you can imagine, they are totally different little people. Now we just help them finish driver's ed, which is cool, but also very weird <laughs> that we knew them when they could barely reach the steering wheel. And so in terms of what we're doing with the girls during those four hours, we're working on those skill set areas. And so I'll talk quickly about what those seven areas are. In third grade, because we're with them for so long, we don't do all seven things that first year. We actually start with three. And the three areas that we start with are educational development, financial literacy, and art. We start there because those behaviors tend to take the longest to change. So from a financial literacy perspective, all of the families that we work with 
are underbanked, right? And so, or they um, have negative net worth. And so we are coming in and really building new skills. And so a lot of our families are using check cashing places. And so we really are trying to develop new skills for that um, young lady that's in our program who may not you know, know much about what it's like to use different types of and methods of payment. So we start there with those three skill sets. And when we originally introduced these skill sets, we actually call them superpowers with the girls. We talked to them a lot about how to empower these different areas for their own success. And how do you get new superpowers? How do you enhance the ones you already have? So each skill set area actually has a superpower name. So art is the power of your imagination. Financial literacy is the power over your wealth. So it makes it a lot of fun when we're talking to the girls. So if you ever met them, they would say, I'm going to work on the power of my mind. So in fourth grade, we add in health and nutrition. You know, we actually teach two different curricula to address health independently and nutrition independently. On the health side, we're talking about things like body image, you know, safety with medication, violence and injury prevention. That first year of nutrition really does look like a dietetics 101 class. They're learning about my plate, nutrition labels. They're learning about what it's like to live in a food desert. How do you shop your supermarket? In fifth grade, we add in leadership development. In sixth and seventh grade, we add in civics and public policy. It is the only superpower that we add in over a two-year time frame. And that is because the students that we work with, unfortunately, do not have history class. So when we started teaching policy, they didn't know what we were talking about just because they didn't understand the layers of government. They didn't know anything about branches of government. And so we now do that in a full-blown civics class in sixth grade. And then we're able to transition to public policy in seventh grade. Public policy is clearly my background, so I'm so excited to teach it to them. But we needed to make sure that we had that foundational work done first. The last superpower that we added is global awareness. And so what we know from a policy perspective is that if you're living in a community where everyone looks like you, there can be reluctance to interact with people that don't look like you. And so we don't want the girls in our program to curtail their experiences or their career desires because they've never worked with someone that doesn't look like them. And so we work really hard with that curricula to you know, help them understand cultural competencies, increase their tolerance, embrace diversity. That curriculum transitions to high school, obviously. And in those high school years, they study a place. So in ninth grade, for example, our our girls study Mexico. They learn about the culture, the people, the history, the government of that particular place. And it culminates with them going to that place for about two weeks. Our girls in ninth grade travel to Puerto Vallarta. Our sophomores study Europe and head to Greece and Italy. And this year, our 11th graders have been studying South America, supposed to be headed to Peru, but coronavirus has different plans for us this summer. And so they have promised that we make it up to them next year, which of course we will. So that's kind of what we do in a snippet and a soundbite. There are lots of moving parts. I will mention that, you know, even though they start financial literacy in third grade, they continue to do it every year. So we never take a superpower away. We're just slowly adding in. So if you think about the schedule for the girls in high school, it's significantly different than our younger girls just because they have more curricula that they are pushing through on a daily and weekly basis. That's wonderful, Kim. So how many girls do you have in the program? Sure. We have 35 girls in the program. And again, that's the spread of, you know, third to 11th grade right now. 
Okay, so how many people help help with all these superpowers? How many facilitators do you have? Sure. So we have operational support, and so those people are helping in our HR department, event planning, volunteer services. So we have about 45 volunteers that help in that space who are willing to leverage their expertise and their time to help us, you know, have this infrastructure that's necessary to do the forward facing work, which is program delivery. On the program delivery side are the people who are interacting with the girls on a daily basis. We have volunteers that are coming in to teach those superpower classes. So it's not atypical to see, you know, a doctor who might be teaching health and nutrition or an economist who's coming to teach financial literacy. We have designed all of the curricula and so it makes it very turnkey and very user friendly. All of the superpower classes are an hour and so we are excited that this year we hit our goal of having 250, you know, volunteers to help teach those superpower classes. It ensures that we have enough coverage to make sure the girls have class every single day. And so if you think about their day, you know, they start with educational development with, with us when we're teaching reading and math. We have our own in-house teachers that teach that. And then they go to homework time and then they have superpower class. So for that one hour, they get to interact with a new volunteer who's teaching them whatever that superpower is for the day. That growth to 250 volunteers has been really exciting because usually we're just looking in Chicago, but COVID has really been this birthplace of innovation for us to think about how we can do this differently. And now those volunteers are from all over the world. And so it has been so cool for the girls to meet people you know, from Puerto Vallarta who are teaching health and nutrition or from California that are teaching art. And so that has been an added component that's been really exciting. So when you talk about the program is for girls of color, what is the diversity among the color, if you will? Sure. So the two schools that we partner partner with now are 98% African-American. And so Right now, all the girls in our program are are African-American. And so we are excited about expanding to new cultural enclaves. I'm hopeful that, you know, that community of color will become a little bit more diverse. We also want to be really thoughtful in partnering with new communities because new communities have different degrees of sensitivity. And so I want to make sure that we have the staffing in place to be able to support and connect with families from different backgrounds within that those different communities of color. Okay. So you talked about COVID. How did you have to pivot with COVID? Yeah, it was really hard. <laughs> um, in March of last year, we kind of got word from CPS, Chicago Public Schools, that it was only going to be essential workers. And so that meant that after school programs in the two schools that we partner with, we would not be able to be in the building. And so I'm incredibly grateful to the families that we work with. We can't work without the support of the parents. They gave us a lot of grace to figure it out. (laughs) And so that was really nice. And so it was a lot of talking in the spring about how we're going to pivot. And, you know, teachers were figuring it out in CPS, you know, the little bit of teachers kind of building their own model. There was no standardization from CPS at that time. And so we spent a lot of time researching best practices around distance learning. We're an after-school program, right? So we're not mandatory. And so we had to figure out what does engagement look like for us after school? 
And so we have integrated a full distance learning model to our programming. So we utilize apps and, or, you know, web-based browser apps like Nod and, you know, Edulastic and different education platforms that allow us to connect with the girls. We function through Google Meet. That has been our best friend. And so all of our you know, classes run through that platform. And so we essentially had to sit down and say, how can we still have programming that is super critical for the girls that we work with um, in a way that still is innovative and fun for the girls? And so we then also the last hour of every day of our programming, we partner with a vendor. And so we have been able to bring in, you know, STEM classes for the girls or cooking classes just like we would in person. And so it really was about how do we creatively still deliver programming for the girls? You know, our parents really do rely on us to help with consistency and support for the girls. And so one thing it was about making sure they know that we are still here for them. And two, us making sure that we were helping them get homework done, helping them still hit goals when there, you know, were just so many gaps and so many ways that the girls in our program could, you know, fall through the cracks. And so we wanted to make sure that we were steady and consistent in the lives of the girls in our program. Okay, so now I'm trying to picture exactly what happened prior to March of 2020. So the girls would, they were in school, you said each day is about four hours, but I'm assuming Mm -hmm. the four hours is among the different grade levels, right? Uh, so four hours. So if you're a third grader in our program, regardless of grade, I'll say this is their schedule. So it always starts with educational development. So they're either learning math or English language arts during that time. They do homework for an hour and then they have superpower class. So as an example, financial literacy is on Mondays and Wednesdays. So if it's a Monday, they're going to go to that particular superpower class. And then the last hour, we always bring in a vendor So, for example, in the fall, we were doing acting classes. And so the way that it does break up is that elementary school students in our program, they might be working with a different acting vendor. So they're doing more, you know, play work. So they might be doing Little Mermaid, whereas our middle schoolers are doing adaptation. So they may love rent for example but they you know do an adaptation of that to make it their own and then our older girls were doing improv and so they all are doing something in the acting world it's just a little bit different and more age appropriate so that is a pretty typical schedule so when they come in with us they eat and then they go to their classroom and they start their day Hmm. so what's nice is that in our schools that we partner with we have our own space And so, you know, they know where to go. They meet their teacher and, you know, it runs like a small little academy, just four hours of that. So because we are with the girls for so long, we know a ton about what's going on and we work with the parents because we see them every day. I also should mention that we work really closely with the schools. We also don't work without that partnership. And so we talk to their homeroom teachers at our partner schools every day. We know what homework they have. We can reteach homework if somebody was confused about something. You know, we're not in a situation where we have 30 girls in one classroom. You know, in third grade, we might have six. And so we have a lot of time to differentiate what we're teaching and make sure that 
that we're hitting every goal for every girl at their level. And so I think that makes us uniquely different just because we're able to tailor that experience to every girl. We know when a student has a list. We know when a student couldn't afford glasses and we need to make sure she's in the front until we're able to address that. So we are really, you know, clued in on everything that's going on with each student. Okay, Kim, let me ask this question. Why wouldn't a parent want their child to be in this after-school program? (laughs) So, you know, I think what's interesting, the psychology of people opting in and opting out of things. And so, you know, you're going to have some people that opt in automatically. So what we ask, we are 100% free to schools and free to families. And so we had to build in some accountability structures. So what we ask for families, one, is a high degree of involvement. And so at the end of every quarter, for example, you know, your daughter's been learning tap for eight weeks. We have this amazing recital. And then we also have booths for them after they perform where they get to talk about their superpowers that they've been working on. So we ask that you come to two out of four showcases. We ask that you sit on a parent committee. So we have a fundraising committee. We have, you know, a bereavement committee. You know, sometimes life happens and we just want to provide support. COVID has been particularly devastating in our community that we work with and the families. And so making sure that we're sending flowers. And so we ask you to send a sit on the committee, excuse me. We also ask you to come to report card days. We are heavily academic. The girls in our program get report cards. They have to come to those. So we kind of go through during our orientation what we're asking of you. It really doesn't amount to thousands of hours, but it really means that you're meeting us because we're going to show up and we're going to deliver and we want you to be part of that process. For every student in our program, as I mentioned, everybody has their own educational learning plan. So we're evaluating and assessing the needs of your daughter. We want you to be active in that plan. If we're saying your daughter's reading at a second grade level, we're trying to get her to a third grade level. We want you to be part of that plan. And so parents have to figure out if that fits with their lifestyle. Can they come to a showcase once, you know, every eight weeks? You know, can they come to our Christmas party? The other thing that we ask is for transportation. We get the girls to our programming site, but they do need to be available to pick them up or have someone pick them up at the end of the day. And so those are the things that families evaluate. You know, we will remove students. It is very rare if they have poor attendance. And so we try to be really clear about what our expectations are. And so, you know, we don't lose girls after fourth grade. We, we lose girls in third grade as families are figuring out if this is a good fit for them. And so that is kind of what parents evaluate. And so I don't think that parents, girls ever leave our program because they aren't happy with what they're doing. It usually is a family is not able to comply with, you know, kind of those, those guiding principles that we've set out for families. Okay, so how did you ensure each girl could still participate when it came to pivoting to COVID as far as having, you know, internet access or computers? It's a it's a wonderful question. So CPS did a really great job of making sure that the girls that we worked with and and the schools I'll say did a really great job of making sure that they had computers and then CPS passed or really really the city helped make sure that all students in certain income levels had access to the internet and so that was really helpful we are a year-round program and so we are teaching in the summer as well that's when we do a lot of that traveling we have a full-blown summer program that is 10 weeks and so 
summer was a little bit more tricky because, you know, schools couldn't guarantee that the kids would still have access to to computers. And so the summer was a little bit harder. But as, you know, this school year has evolved, all of our students have been able to have those resources. Some have a computer and iPad. And so that has been really helpful. And, and we've leveraged that technology. The girls meet via Google Meet for school. And so, you know, we just are an extension of that. And so that's been really nice. And and we are very committed to talking to the parents. I talk to the parents every week, even though I don't see them. And if they haven't heard from me in a week, I just got a call from a parent yesterday that, you know, they will call and check in and make sure we're okay. So we really do know what's going on with them. And I will say COVID has been interesting for our families because now they're a little bit of everywhere. You know, they're not on the west side of the city. We have a few girls that have moved a little bit further to have more support from family members. And so because we are still virtual, they're still able to come to programming every day. We also built a new department this year called the Social Services Department. That department specifically is checking in on the needs of not only the parents, but also the girls in the program. And so this summer, I mean, excuse me, this winter, we had families that needed help with winter coats. And so we were able to activate that department and they were able to provide that for those families. The program does change for high schoolers. They still are required to complete all of their superpower classes. They get something, I know I keep bringing stuff up, they get something called an educational passport. And so they get to see what their requirements are for the year. Because all of our girls go to different high schools, every single one of them, um, they travel to us from their high schools and their classes actually start an hour later because high school gets out later. That high school experience for them is uniquely different, though, because they participate in a career development program that we've designed. So it's four stages. So their freshman year, they're doing some discovery. That next year, we set up externships and it builds from there. So girls that want to be doctors. And so they are currently enrolled in medical discovery programs with Northwestern. It has been fantastic for the girls to be able to do dissection. So they will have a, mag- a module, for example, on diabetes. And so they will learn about what diabetes is. Someone will come in and talk about it. But then they get to do all these experiments related to diabetes to see how this disease state impacts your body. And so every girl freshman year identifies what they would like to do. We have a student that would like to be a chef. We have one that would like to be a visual artist. We have one that would like to be an actor. And they get a program designed uniquely for them. So our student who wants to be an actor, we partner with tons of acting programs. So she's learning about writing scripts. She's also working on acting herself. And so it's uniquely designed for every student. And so because of that, our high schoolers come to us three days a week two days a week, they are at their externship or career development program. And so their schedule is just a little bit different. They have mandatory Saturday school to catch up with, you know, the days that they missed. But it has been a lot of fun to see them. You know, we're used to seeing them together as a cohort. And it's really nice to see their individuality come out as they take these different learning paths. And so our student who wants to be a visual artist, she is a prolific artist. She goes to Shy Arts. We were so excited to get her into SAIC so that she could start taking classes there. And so she's been able to, you know, really flourish. We teach art, you know, to her twice a week and she credits that to giving her a lot of time to fall in love with visual arts. And so we also partner with Marwin to help 
run part of her program. And so it really is a sitting down and curating experience for them that is second to none and really allows them to explore. I always tell the girls, it's okay if you wanted to be a doctor and now you realize you want to do something else. Anecdotally, we like to say the girls have lots of voice and choice. And so I have my ideas. We, you know, we have a whole curriculum design team. We all have our ideas about what the girls should learn and how they should learn it. We take a lot of pride in taking feedback from the girls around that curricula. I think our parents' generation, um, one of the things I heard them say, make sure you do something where you can take care of yourself. You know, we talk a lot about careers that parents thought were successful. When I was younger, you had to be a doctor, you had to be a lawyer, you know, you had these very defined ways that Black communities thrive. And so I think this has been really fun for the girls just to be able to explore, as you said. And I had one student who wanted to be a, a physician and then realized it wasn't maybe what she wants to do. And so then she came back and said, I would like to be a dancer. And she thought I was going to be really angry. And I was like, no, I was like, this is part of this whole process for you to get to play and explore and see what these different careers could feel like for you. And if it's something that you would like to do long term. And so I do hope that we are allowing them to, you know, pull the layers back and see what it's like to be in these different professions, but really just to try Mm -hmm. try something different Mm -hmm. um, that may be unique to them. We have a student that wants to be a chemist. She doesn't know anybody that wants to be a chemist. So um, it's been nice for her to connect with Dan, who's an engineer, (laughs) and talk to her. Like, there are lots of ways to be a chemist, right? You know, Mm -hmm. she thought that she wanted to do hair. And he was, she was like, well, I could make shampoo and stuff, right? And I could, and you're like, absolutely. (laughs) There are lots of industries that use engineering and chemists. And so that has been really exciting. She's actually at the Museum of Science and Industry virtually every week. It's been really cool to see them grow. I was talking to my cousin. Her friend is putting together like a booklet for her daughter who's graduating from high school. And so she wanted all the her play aunties to write a message. And she said, what should I say? And I said, well, one piece of advice I have is if there's something you really, really want to do, just do it. Find a mentor that can help you and never stop looking for the person who you think is doing something you want to do and they're doing it well. And so what I hear you saying is you guys are just allowing them to explore. You're finding people to help them. And this is something that I think if they can just learn and just pick up on that little skill as they move through life, you've, you've done you've done well, Kim. Okay, so if parents are interested who are in the Chicago area, what should they do? They should go to our site, www.super7girls.org. There is a portal. If you're interested, you can contact us. If you're interested in having us come to your school and being a, a, you know, a school partner, we would love that as well. We work directly with the administrators to get set up and, you know, We've been doing this for a while now, so we love those new partnerships. So that is the best way to to kind of build that partnership. You also can email us at superpowers at supersevengirls.org. Today's interview with Kimberly Joseph demonstrates to us that it's a group effort to develop well-rounded young women. Furthermore, Kim inspires us to believe in our dreams and see them come to fruition. What's your dream? This is a K-Cross Spears LLC production.